I've had situations where, you know, we'll take a break for a month or two or something. And then when we reconnect, it's like, okay, cool. Like I can appreciate this and enjoy the occasional hookup or the friendship or, or whatever it is. And, and this is cool. I just needed like truly some time to kind of just get that out of my, my mind first. But then there's other ones where, no, it's needed more time. And I have had those situations where we've then reconnected maybe even a couple years later. And it's like, oh, now this is really cool. And we have this kind of nice shared history that's now nice and not painful. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're going to be answering some more listener questions, getting into topics like how to manage boundaries without them becoming ultimatums. Can hierarchical relationships be healthy? How do you be a good polyamory beginner? Uh, How to reconnect after taking a break? Lots of great questions to discuss today. And if you have a question that you would like us to talk about on this show, become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash multiamory, and then add your questions and comments in our special monthly Q&A episode posts. So just right off the bat, somebody asked a question about us, which... Oh, wow. I know. I think we (laughs) talk about ourselves quite a lot on this show, but not getting necessarily into the nitty-gritty as much as other shows do. Yeah, but... well, I just did an interview on Billy Presida's show, and yeah, he oh, was yeah. like, we don't know anything about you three. We really? want all the gods. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Listen to some of the past episodes, and I'm crying on, like, every freaking episode and stuff. <laughs> it's a rough time. No, but yeah. Uh, so this one asks... What was the biggest challenge in your poly journey and how did you overcome it? I know this is more personal, but definitely helpful. Well, goodness. And then a smiley I'm, face. And then a smiley face. face. I'm scared to answer this question because I feel like if I point to something as my biggest challenge, just the universe is going to hear that and going to be like, I can do you one better. <laughs> and just, <laughs> or just be like, even maybe more you challenging need to my work on that some more or something. Yeah. Oh, yes. Just, whew, boy, oh boy. Well, I can start though. I can okay. start and maybe okay. the universe will be kind with whatever curveball it throws me next. I would say if I think about my poly journey or think about at least the the time when I was learning the most or things were the most formative for me, I really do think one of the most challenging parts for me was the first time I was in a non-monogamous relationship where there were other important relationships as well in the picture. As in for several years when I was first exploring non-monogamy and polyamory, it was, there was always a very clear distinction that, you know, if I was dating someone, either I would be the most important person in their life or I was very strictly casual and Mm. they had other important people in their life. So I guess not just hierarchy, but very extreme hierarchy of of whether or not it was quote unquote a serious relationship or quote unquote a casual relationship. And so right. for me, the first time I was in a quote unquote serious relationship with someone who also had other emotionally 
intense or emotionally entangled or emotionally important relationships that I think that just like really threw me for a loop of, of just trying to understand that. Right. And that this was even after having read all the books and totally understanding, you know, what I wanted to get out of polyamory and, and in theory, understanding how it functions. But I think as far as like deconstructing my own monogamous programming or the ways that I felt about myself or kind of what makes me important to someone, that was probably the biggest hurdle to get over for me. Yeah, gosh, that's a good one. I think the one that comes up for me right now, and I I don't know if I would have thought of this as my biggest challenge at the time, but looking back, I think this is part of it, is um, that there was some unlearning at first that I wasn't even aware that I hadn't done or that it needed to be done. And that was specifically about um, sort of guilt and shame about more casual relationships and feeling like I, I went into a lot of relationships with this assumption that the more serious and entangled they are, the the better they are or like the better I can feel about them. And so it led to me doing a lot of overcommitting to relationships and then disappointing people by not having the resources to sustain that or by maybe misrepresenting the kind of relationship that that I thought we were going to have or that I thought I should have or that was expected of me. And I think that, you know, caused hurt for other people, for myself as well. Um, and then And then I guess combining that then with that early polyamory thing of I'm available to date anybody all the time. <laughs> well, what just like massively combined that that problem of of overcommitting myself, and so so I'd say that 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 there were some things that I just didn't even at the time just it did not even occur to me that that's why I might be doing those things or that that was baggage to unlearn. It was just oh these are facts. This is just how the world works. That that's kind of how I how I approached it. There's an amplification, I think, of things that you already need to be working on in your daily life that perhaps come to light even more when you're entering into like a new relationship structure. I, for instance, you know, one of my big things that I do is compare myself to other people. And when you have more people that are potentially in with, you know, your uh, partners that you may be comparing yourself to them even more than if they were just exes or friends of your partner or whatever. And so I think when I was first in uh, non-monogamy with Jace, like anyone that you would date, I would try, I would probably compare myself to them and, and Mm. it would be challenging for me to think about all the ways in which I was like, not as good as they were or, I did that a lot, I think, with Josh, too, when we were non-monogamous. Um, and even if with I... With his other partners or with him? With with his other partners. Mm, like, I, I would compare yeah. myself to them, um, essentially. And I think I did the same thing with you. So that's interesting that probably it just kind of amplifies, <laughs> like, things that you already need to be working on and, and makes mm, the, yeah, right, like, right. puts a neon sign on that a little bit more. Oh, <laughs> neon sign, for sure. Boy, yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You you sparked a memory for me of, I, I think, yeah, relatively early on in my own polyamorous journey, I would definitely do the comparison thing, but it would be more the flavor of, oh, this must be what my partner actually wants what they're seeking in that person, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And, and I think that's mm. a holdover from 
monogamy as well. Like when I was in monogamous relationships, anytime a partner would express interest or attraction to any other person, real or imaginary. (laughs) (laughs) Like a character from a movie or something? Yeah, yeah. Or even a celebrity, someone totally inaccessible, right? I would have that narrative of, oh, this is what they actually want. And they're super disappointed by being with Mm. me. And so Mm -hmm. I need to try to find ways to fill that gap to make myself more like this thing that they want, which I suppose is is similar to what you're expressing, but it's almost like a slightly, slightly different flavor. Yeah, that's interesting that you're like, I need to figure out a way to become more of X. Well, yes. I'm, I tend to just be like, well, I'm not that. And so I suck and blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of overcoming, that's an interesting question. I, I think that's still a work in progress in general. <laughs> Although I'm able to, I think, objectively more now realize like I have things that my partner finds interesting about me or that my friends find interesting about me or, um, excited, you know, they're excited to be around me for whatever reason. And, I just have to remind myself of that, that I'm in relationships, you know, of, of many different types of relationships with, with people that are really extraordinary and they, they like me for some reason. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, we do like you for some reason. You're right. So no one can t- say what those reasons are. <laughs> yeah, I know, I sort of can, but here we are. Oh, All gosh. Right. Yeah, I think, I think all, just the unlearning and for me, it was really learning to value my unstructured time for myself and really prioritizing that. And we've talked about this for a long time on the show, but I think it's like I had to start realizing it was a thing to care about and talk about. And then my actual, you know, life and mind had to sort of catch up to that idea of having some of that time. And now I'm much more aware of it. And also now kind of go into relationships with much more of this, I'm not sure what this is going to be, and I'm okay with that. And let's talk more openly about it earlier on, instead of kind of assuming that everyone wants the type of relationship that the TV shows and movies and stories and advice have all led me to think that they're going to want. Right. So let's move on to the next question, which is, what are some good steps to reconnect after initiating a break in the relationship? So unfortunately, this question, when we got it, does not come with a ton of context. So we may have to make some assumptions here. So I'm assuming by initiating a break, they're saying I initiated us taking a break, taking time apart. And for some folks that can range everywhere from I just I'm going to go away for a week just to kind of collect my thoughts and have some time apart, or I need a six month break from this relationship. Um, So without that context, it's a little bit hard to answer the question. But I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is when you are going to be the one to initiate a break or your partner's asking for a break, I do think it is important to put in a specific container around that. So as in being clear about it's going to be two weeks or a month and being clear about what happens in that container. Is it completely no contact? Is it, I just need a break from sex in our relationship, or I just need a break from living together with you for this period of time, whatever it is. And then also being clear of when that break is over, are we specifically making a plan to reconnect? Like what is going to be the purpose of that reconnect? Like setting up some clear expectations. Is it, I'm going to go travel by myself for a month and let's not talk. And then when I come back, let's specifically sit down and see about rekindling our relationship or 
let's have a conversation where we specifically talk about kind of repairing some things from the past now that we've had some time apart to percolate on it? Or is it more going to be about things got really, really heavy and really exhausting. And so we're going to take a little break. And then when we reconnect, the whole purpose of it is just to keep it light and fun, you know, just to go to an event together or go get dinner together and like really just try to to reconnect to some of the good parts before jumping back into processing. I, I think that's the first thing that would come to mind, which if you've already initiated the break and you haven't done this work, that answer is maybe a little bit too late. But if you can be clear about those things and set up some expectations, I think that could help. As far as the actual reconnecting goes, though, in terms of steps for reconnecting, as Dedeker mentioned, it really varies depending on what the relationship was before and what the break was like. But I think one of the keys there, at least for me, and, and maybe there's some value to going the opposite direction, but mine would be to, to try to ease back into it especially if the break was because things were too intense in some way. Either we were having a lot of conflict or just like this was, I was becoming too obsessive with this relationship and needed some space to kind of recenter myself and find myself again. Whichever of those it is, for me, it would be finding some ways to sort of ease back into that to try to find that equilibrium again. So maybe hanging out in smaller containers. So say it used to be we'd get together and we would spend every moment of a whole weekend together. And now it's like, okay, let's get together for a few hours, you know, doing a specific thing or having brunch together. Or, you know, maybe we just have one sleepover a week when we used to have four of them or, you know, whatever it is for you of kind of experimenting with what's a version of this that eases us back in to also help keep some of that excitement rather than trying to dive all the way back in and overwhelming ourselves or or getting back into the same conflicts we had before. I did this recently with a friendship where I needed some space because both of us had said or um, I guess participated in the friendship in ways that were harmful to one another. And so when I finally did come back together and and hung out with them, I had to ask some clarifying questions about, you know, what are things that were triggering to you in the past about, you know, when I said X, Y, or Z thing, and what can I do to make sure that I don't say something that's harmful or, you know, what is something that you can do on the other end to you know, perhaps not have a similar reaction in the future. And I think asking those clarifying questions is really important, especially if you do want to try to get back to a place of reconnection and understand also that it may not look the same way that it once did. I think our friendships and our relationships are ever evolving, and that's really okay if it doesn't go, you know, right back to we spend every waking moment together or, you know, five days a week together or whatever, but rather, like Jay said, let's ease back into it and figure out what this new normal is going to look like because we've changed as people. We understand perhaps there was hurt involved in either end and, and we need to move forward from that. Our next question here is, <laughs> this, this one, we all had a nice little chuckle about this one. And that's any advice for someone looking to explore other polyamory sites like on Reddit, Twitch, Facebook, wherever, away from the safe harbor that the multi-amory discord has become. <laughs> and 
I love it, and I feel very much the same way about the multi-emory Discord. Uh, that it's that it's a place where you can expect a certain amount of, I guess, like respectfulness and kindness to each other that you can't always count on in more public communities. And we we uh, you know we're going to talk about this a little bit actually next week in our episode with Lola Phoenix. So we'll get into that maybe a little bit more. But but what would we say about this question about you know what what can you do to sort of prepare yourself or or advice when you're trying to broaden the the number of communities that you're part of? Well, the first thing is uh, this is a very big compliment, but I also felt like I need to get out ahead of it and just be like. Oh, we're not the only space for you to participate in. It's okay. Like you can always leave. You can join other spaces. Don't we're not we're not creating this narrative that like this is the only safe space to be everywhere else is gonna be terrible. Yeah. So that's that's we really appreciate that people have that experience, but just wanted to say that I feel like my we're not a cult red flags jump up sometimes to just make sure people know that. (laughs) And I'm like, one of us. One of us. Yeah, I think the first thing, so the thing that always freaking gets under my skin anytime I'm posting literally anywhere else, it does not have to be about polyamory, but I don't know, for instance, like I'll post on a subreddit that's about Japanese language where I'm like, oh, I'm looking for this particular resource for this particular aspect of Japanese language learning. Um, You know, these have been my frustrations or this is the backstory. And always what frustrates me is like no one else uses the Triforce of Communication. Mm. And so what Mm. that means is everything you get back is going to be everything from people giving advice when you didn't want advice or people critiquing, oh, well, why are you frustrated with that? I don't think you should be frustrated with that particular part to people who just like want to make a random joke or people who want to answer completely the wrong question. It's like, I think we've grown used to, uh, this is just sort of part of being on the internet, but I know that's the big thing that always frustrates me is people outside our little multi-amory bubble don't always, first of all, know what the Triforce is or expect to use it or even think about, oh, what is this person actually looking for? And maybe I should make sure that I tailor my response to actually meet that. And if I don't have that response, then I'm going to shut the fuck up. Um, no one does that. Huh. But So I guess that would be my first piece of advice is, is using your best one-sided Triforce of communication skills. So what that means is maybe like to the best of your ability, being very clear of like, hey, this is what's going on. I'm, I'm not really looking for advice or feedback from people. I'm just looking to hear that uh, you know, it's reasonable for you to feel this way or I want to hear from other people who've been in the same situations or things like that that it may just require a little bit more effort to like really clearly lay out what it is that you're looking for from the community or from that particular post, but also knowing that people may still completely ignore that and brush right past that. I am kind of shocked sometimes when we get in spaces that we're not used to, like our little insular communities, like our Facebook group or Discord or even like Los Angeles at large for me. Because I live, you know, and, and interact with a lot of people who are very open and loving and caring and not necessarily going to be bigoted about uh, my relationships or what kind of um, person I am or how I sound or any of those things. And it is kind of shocking at times to get in spaces or hear from people that automatically may assume things about you or just put you down in a certain way. And so I guess I would say that it be aware that 
that is potentially out there and to in in ways that you can uh, shield yourself from that, even if that is, you know, it, for instance, I we were on the Mark Groves podcast a couple of weeks ago and somebody said something rude about my voice and I was able to talk to Jason Dedeker about it and and kind of, you know, get back to earth a little bit more because I immediately wanted to lash out and and I did a little bit. But not not as much as I potentially could have. Um, but I it was great to have a support system and even, you know, have some of our lovely listeners come to my aid as well. And so things like that, just realize that that's out there and to have a support system and those places where you do feel safe is important as well. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a, a mental shift that needs to happen, at least that I've experienced this for myself depending on what community I'm in and where I'm posting something of, of how much I kind of can let myself be vulnerable to the responses, right? Like there's with, with a friend, it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for your advice in this situation. And your friend says to you, actually, I think you might be being kind of shitty in this situation. And maybe the advice you think you want is actually not the right advice. I'm going to take that very seriously. And I'm really going to think about that, even if it's upsetting. Whereas if I get that same response on, you know, Reddit, you know, slash R slash polyamory, I, I like I, I need to go into that situation not being as open to that. And that's that's a bummer, but it is something to kind of just change your expectations of. I know that the people who are here, especially in very public, very large type things like Reddit, where there's no no one's helping really police this. I mean, some subreddits are better than others, but it's just so huge and it's open to anyone and anyone can just create a new anonymous profile just to be a jerk to you if they want. So kind of changing those expectations and going in, just kind of realizing that that's the case and that there are good people there and trying to ignore the not as good ones, you know, and just let it go and really resist the urge to to, try, to get into fights with strangers on the internet because you're not doing anyone any good, least of all yourself. Um, I know it might feel good right in that moment, but ultimately it's just not, and it's not what you actually came there for, right? It's not fostering community, which is what you want. I know that's easier said than done, but <laughs> that would be my advice is just kind of just be aware when you switch communities to have sort of a moment of, okay, I'm entering the multi-emory discord. I'm going to act a certain way. Okay, now I'm entering Reddit. Or Twitch, I'm going to have a slightly different expectation or something like that. Hmm. This next question is a two-parter. The first is how to be a good beginner. And I'm assuming that this means in polyamory or in polyamorous spaces, like when you're just starting out in terms of changing maybe from monogamy to non-monogamy. And then also, what are some red flags or warning signs you see many fledgling poly folk brush past or ignore? Ooh. <laughs> That's a fun one. That's a fun one. How to be a good beginner. I feel like how to be a good beginner, where I would start is just realizing that no one person has all of the answers, has all the truth. So it's important to get a variety of different opinions and to think critically about all of them, whether those are ones you get from us on this show, in various online communities, in the books you read, that there's probably good stuff in them, but it's not just, oh, well, if I just find someone with experience, they'll give me all the answers. It's, it's different from, you know, learning a very particular skill like 
I don't know, wood carving or something. Maybe there's some universally accepted <laughs> techniques. But even in that, there's probably not just one way to do it, right? So, so being open to that and, and having more conversations with more people and not just the ones you're dating. Uh, just kind of just to get a sense of what people are thinking about, what people are doing, what struggles people are having, what's working well for them, that kind of stuff. I would say understand that the people who you are entering into relationships with are also people and that, you know, it, you're probably going to fuck up at times and that is understandable. But as much as you can, especially if you're moving from a monogamous space to a non-monogamous one with an already established partner to, you know, realize that these other people that you're getting into relationships with, they have values and they need love and care and respect and don't just toss them to the wayside when something gets challenging. I think I definitely have had times, especially right at the beginning, when it, because I see discomfort in a partner maybe that I live with or that I uh, already had an established relationship with, that that discomfort would color my expectations or decisions about, you know, somebody new that I was dating. And it would cause me to kind of not treat that person in a, in a way that they deserved. And that's, that to me is something that I feel like I see a lot. And that's something to really be aware of and make sure that you're in, being mindful of that possibility. Yeah, I want to dovetail off of that, that reminder that the other people that you're interfacing with are people, they are human beings, because I think that this can apply also if if you're the beginner in the sense of you're a beginner to the experience of your partner dating other people and you're a beginner to the sense of having metamors that remember that your new metamors are people also. Yeah. Like I think that's the big one where there can often be a shift of if there's something about this situation that makes me uncomfortable or if I feel slighted in some way that for a lot of people, I'm not entirely sure why this is, but for a lot of people, it becomes easier to shift the ire and the blame and the ill will away from what my partner is doing and onto what my metamor is doing or what I perceive my metamor to be doing or not doing. And especially if that's also in a context where I don't know my metamor very well, I haven't really met with them or I haven't had a chance to actually get to know them. And so it's really easy to project onto them all these negative traits. I, I feel like I see a lot of people out the gate hopping there. And I do think that maybe part of being a good beginner is you know, some of it may be taking stock of like, okay, if something's upsetting me and bothering me, is that an internal issue? Is an external issue? If it's external, is it really about what my metamor is doing? Or is there some way that my partner is not standing up in the way that I'm expecting or, or not helping me feel safe in some particular way? Again, this, I think this topic can get so broad um, and so deep really quickly and without particular context, it's hard to answer. But to speak to the second half of the question about some red flags or warning signs that you see fledgling polyfolk brush past or ignore, probably the biggest one is is dating someone who's already told you quite clearly they are not interested in non-monogamy hmm. or they don't think that they could do that or or maybe dating someone who at first was like, yeah, sure, I could try that. And then after a few weeks or a few months, then they're like, no, this this really doesn't work for me, but still kind of insisting on 
pushing it forward and just kind of really bulldogging it and insisting that it's going to work. That's probably the big one. And some of that I think can be chalked up to NRE, you know, to just like really falling for someone. And especially if you haven't fallen for someone or been an NRE in several years. And so it's all very, very new for you and very intense along with this new intense experience of being polyamorous and like all these feelings that, yeah, I don't know. I just see people kind of really get into some not great situations because of that. Yeah. Yeah. The NRE thing can really blind you, especially if you're not used to it. And, and, and to be honest, I think also just be a little bit gentle with yourself because it's a little bit like you're, you know, a teenager just starting to date again in that while you have experience now in your life, having done some dating, it's sort of like going back to not having experience because you don't quite have the same level of lived experience of, I sort of have a sense of what what has worked for me and what hasn't. In non-monogamy, you don't have that when you're starting out and, and that you don't have a ton of role models or examples of it either, is to just realize that, that there is a little bit of a learning curve and to not expect that, oh yeah, I'm going to find my you know lifelong live-in quad triad whatever right away and that if I don't do that, I'm failing somehow or, you know, just be a little bit gentle with yourself and realize there's some learning that you can't just be told or learn from a book that comes from just experience and getting to know yourself better and figuring out how you like to do relationships in this different way. So now we're going to take a quick break to talk about some of the ways in which you can support our show. We have some lovely sponsors that help us out to continue to bring the show to you all for free. So you can check those out as well as check out our Patreon community, which includes Discord and Facebook, which is something that we just talked about if you want to get involved in some amazing communities. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. All right, this next one, uh, I'm going to admit, is a little uh, complicated to try to summarize and, and put it into a nice, succinct question here. So I'm just going to give you sort of the, the, the rough gist of this. So 
this person uh, started a relationship, had been seeing someone for about eight months, and they saw each other pretty regularly, like once a week or so, had a lot of NRE feelings like that. But then the other person kind of fell out of that NRE a little bit, was a little less interested in polyamory, and more seems to be looking for a friend that's occasionally a friends with benefits. Something kind of a lot more casual, a lot more, um, you know, maybe we'd hook up once or twice a month or something, but less serious. And the question asker is more, you know, wished they could have a more, you know, more entangled, more committed type relationship with this person. And they're having a hard time managing their own expectations and disappointment and upset and hurt over this change. So that's, I guess I'll start there with the question. It's sort of tips for adjusting expectations or managing hurt feelings with this kind of a situation. When you're de-escalating or transitioning a relationship. Yeah. And I think what's worth noting, though, is that sometimes we've talked about this with long term. You know, you've been married for 10 years and you're de-escalating in some way. This is more... We're still kind of in that calibrate NRE getting to know each other that's about eight months in. So I think it's a little bit different of a nuance. But yeah, that idea of de-escalating and how to manage those expectations and hurt feelings. Yeah, when I read the backstory for this one, it struck me that, I don't know, like if this person was my client, I feel like I would tell them like, it's, it's okay to take some space and some time you know, in their backstory, they did clarify that like, oh, yeah, normally we tell people like go no contact for a while and and then come back to it. And you don't have to make it that dramatic necessarily. It doesn't have to be like, oh, like I can't even talk to you for six months or or whatever it is. But it, it sounds like this person, you know, was rightfully disappointed and hurt by the fact that this other person didn't want the same type of relationship. And sounds like they're trying to adjust to the relationship that's at the level that this other person wants, but there's still this hurt and resentment and anger. And I don't feel like that's going to resolve on its own, just continuing to still see this person. If if they're not going to be able to offer you what it is that you're hoping for, that doesn't mean that you'll never accept that or never be okay with that. It doesn't mean you can never be in a relationship of some kind with this person. But I do think it is okay to take that time and space and to grieve. And to drop the G word of grieve again may sound dramatic for the situation where these people were only seeing each other for a few months. But I I don't think that that's hyperbole, you know, like when you got those feelings and had the NRE and were really hoping for something with this person, it's hurtful for that to be taken away, you know, and maybe the person like didn't promise anything or or didn't necessarily mean to lead you on but like the impact was that it was still really hurtful and i think that it's okay to still honor that and give yourself some time or some space whatever is appropriate for you to be able to let that pass through you and to work that out yeah i just want to acknowledge like the very real sense of longing that may be going on with this person and like you said, Dedeker, like the grieving or mourning of um, the relationship that once was, but that now no longer is in that fashion. I think um, when I was sort of transitioning away from being both of your romantic partners into non-romantic, I had to go through that experience as well, um, even though it was mutual, more mutual than this sounds like, it definitely is still 
a challenging thing for your body and your brain and all of the kind of synapses that were firing once upon a time telling you that this is a romantic relationship or this is this type of romantic relationship and now it's something else. And so, you know, I think repetition and and being able to do those things over and over again or be in a situation that is more potentially friends or friends with benefits as opposed to the situation that you used to be in. I mean, that simply is just time and repetition and changing what once was in in your body and brain. And yeah, it took me years. It took me years. So there it is. Yeah, I also have a personal experience with someone where, would I call them my ex? I don't know. There was definitely like a, a de-escalation in the relationship that, that was really hurtful. You know, they were the one who initiated it. And so I felt really hurt and betrayed and, you know, took some time. It was d- definitely much more of a very clear, like, I need to have a period of no contact. And then, oh, gosh, how long ago, how long was it after that? Maybe a few months, like three or four months. I I don't know what it was. I thought like, oh, I- I'm over this now. It'll be great. Like, I can reconnect to this person and be friends because this person did still want to maintain a friendship. You know, they were very honest about that. And I just couldn't handle it at the time. Um, and I was like, okay, now I think I can be friends the way that this person wants to. And so I reached out to them and like set up a video call. And then the minute they got on the video call, I was like, oh shit, I'm still really fucking angry. <laughs> and, uh. like, and so like when Emily's talking about the nervous system thing, it's like, yeah, there is still some stuff where your heart and your body takes longer than your brain does to make the switch with these things. And so it was a really awkward video call because oh God. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. I was wow. still really angry. Just realized like, oh no, I still have a lot of anger and resentment and ill will toward this person. And I need to take more time. Like that was just wow. the solution was I just needed more time and more space before yeah. I was ready for that. Yeah. And it, I think it's hard because we tend to hold up this idea of being able to, you know, peacefully deescalate or to change our expectations as, uh, well, if you're, you know, an evolved person or an emotionally mature person, you should just be able to do that. And it can, it can lead a lot to that, to that guilt, you know, that feeling of, oh, I'm, I'm failing. I just need to power through this. I just need to figure it out. And, I know we're sounding like a broken record, uh, but I'm going to say the same thing of just that if it if it makes you mad and you're frustrated, take a, take the break, take the time. And it could be, you know, I've had situations where, you know, we'll take a break for a month or two or something. And then when we reconnect, it's like, okay, cool. Like I can appreciate this and enjoy the occasional hookup or the friendship or or whatever it is. And And this is cool. I just needed like truly some time to kind of just get that out of my my mind first but then there's other ones where no it's needed more time and i have had those situations where we've then reconnected maybe even a couple years later and it's like oh now this is really cool and we have this kind of nice shared history that's now nice and not painful you know it's, yeah i've so, done that and that has been <laughs> right. really cool after the <laughs> fact it's like oh yeah <laughs> this is fun oh yeah yeah, yeah, we had different things we wanted, but we've we've had enough time to change so that it doesn't just feel like we're we're trying to fall back into that same thing. Or you, I've also had the situation, kind of like Dedeker mentioned, but even several years later, where it's like, hey, let's reconnect and see how this goes. And within like half an hour, we got into a fight, 
Whoa. And, you know, over like text messages. And it was just like, okay, yeah, no, there's a reason why we stopped doing this before. And this mm. just isn't going to work. A different, different kind of situation. But it's just, I guess I would just say that there's no, like, you're not winning if you make this work. And it's disappointing either way. And maybe that disappointment's going to be less by just having this end now. And maybe you can come back to it in the future. But, but yeah, to not, not try to force it, it's just hard. And I don't think it'll help either of you, really. Okay, so these next three questions are sort of all about the same topic. There are some slightly different nuances within each of these questions. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all three of these questions and then, then go. To have a discussion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and we can kind of go back and maybe flesh out some backstory as we need. Yes. You know, as as we're going. But but sure, let's get the whole context here. Yes. Okay. So the the broad umbrella topic is everyone's favorite, hierarchy and veto. Emily, what's your air horn? Wow. <laughs> Whoa, that was <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Like manic <laughs> okay. okay, I'm going to read the questions. Question number one. Uh, how do you set healthy and ethical boundaries within the context of a highly entangled, mutually desired lifelong commitment? Specifically, boundaries that don't look like veto power or interference in other relationships, but also don't just come down to walking away in the presence of incompatible strong preferences. Question number two. Uh, this person says a second for pocket veto issues. How do you know the difference between genuine third-party trauma or if someone's emotions are being used to force a certain result? How do you spot this before becoming invested? And then they include a little bit of a caveat here. If I was in my partner's shoes, I'd be so conflicted. As a hinge, how do you balance autonomy and not wanting to continually harm your existing partner, but also to not allow poorly imagined managed emotions to be used as a de facto veto? And then question number three, yeah, a third third vote for the idea of ethical hierarchy. To be honest, I'm a little frustrated by the idea that seems to be prevalent among consensual non-monogamy thought leaders right now that non-hierarchical polyam is the best way, most ethical way, etc. If one is going to raise children with a partner, invest in a home, and plan your life with them as your anchor or nested person, centering or prioritizing that relationship makes perfect sense to me. So... I do feel like we've talked about hierarchy quite a bit on this show and veto quite a bit on this show, but I know my thoughts about that have definitely shifted and and changed quite a bit over the Mm -hmm. years. Maybe not like completely drastically to opposite ends of the spectrum, but they have changed for sure. So what do y'all have to say about this? How do we open? Ding, ding, ding. Begin. Start the, (laughs) go do the discussion, do the thing. Well, I do think it's worth kind of looking at these, because what, what I like about this is that they're getting into more specific situations based on each of these people's life experiences and challenges in their relationships. So I think it is actually helpful to kind of look at them one at a time and get into this and kind of, you know, see what it's all about. So what if we just start with this first one here, which is this idea of how do you make healthy boundaries within the context of this very entangled relationship, but that you don't want them to look like veto power. And they kind of talk about the thing, right, with a boundary, if it is truly a hard boundary for you, it has to be enforced by yourself, which might mean leaving that relationship if this boundary is, you know, 
getting crossed in order to protect yourself. And they're saying, but that kind of feels like if my only way to enforce this is to walk away, that feels sort of like an ultimatum or looks like veto power of saying, well, you can't do this or I leave, you know, essentially like a veto with this ultimatum built into it. And so I think that that is worth exploring a little bit. And the first thing that comes to mind, just to get this out the gate, is that something we mention a lot when we talk about boundaries is that in a good relationship, you will ideally almost never be bumping up against your boundaries. And if you're in a state where that's the issue, that these boundaries are constantly getting pushed against, you're, you're already not in a good place. Like this, this relationship is not in a good place already. And so I would encourage you to maybe move away from thinking about boundaries as the way to express those preferences. Or if they are boundaries, then this is a much more serious thing to be thinking about. And it's not about veto. It's about maybe you shouldn't be in this relationship, even if that really sucks. I feel like I want to jump in and maybe clarify what I think it is that you're getting at with the whole idea of in an ideal relationship, you're not bumping up against your boundaries. Because I just had a big conversation about this when I was interviewed on, on Rachel Krantz's podcast a few weeks ago that it doesn't mean that in relationship, no one's ever going to upset you. No one's going to step on your toes, that you're never going to have to defend yourself or anything like that. Like, of course, those things are going to happen. I think it's just that ideally, this is a relationship of collaboration. And so if you're anticipating some trouble ahead or something that may be difficult or something that may be going against your values or something that you may struggle with, that you can collaborate with your partner. There's an open channel of communication. We can talk this out first, as opposed to like the first thing I do is figure out what's my boundary about this. You know, I think we like to think about boundaries as they're a little bit closer to the last line of defense rather than the first thing out the gate. And if you're in a relationship where there is no collaboration, and so what that means is my boundaries always have to be the first thing out the gate, that that may be something to look at and that could be a red flag. Does, does that does that make sense or does that track with what you're trying to say, Jace? Yeah, and, and I guess, yeah, maybe to, to try to clarify that even a little bit further is not to say that the things that you want and the things that are upsetting you are not valid, because absolutely they're valid. But I think that when we talk about them as boundaries, things get a little tricky because, yes, a boundary is that this isn't negotiable, this is not flexible. This is when I, this is when I leave or, or otherwise, you know, change my situation so that this boundary is not getting pushed up against. And so maybe it's that the thing that's bothering you is more of a strong preference. And that doesn't mean that that shouldn't be respected. It doesn't mean that your partner, you know, can, it could ignore that then because it's just a preference, but I think it changes the way that we look at it and talk about it and maybe the kinds of resources you would find. Because yes, having it of like, well, you need to do this thing. And if you don't do that thing, I leave does feel a lot like you're trying to do some kind of veto power or, you know, interfere in other relationships or, or have some kind of ultimatum. But also if you're really suffering being in a relationship where whatever is happening, if it has to do with the partner that they're with or something, if you're really suffering because of that and your partner doesn't want to change that, there isn't really another way. You can't just sort of zen your way past being bothered by that, at least in my opinion. 
I am thinking about some stuff that Lola Phoenix talked about in their book, which we'll get into next week when with our interview with them. But they talked a lot about how like vetoes or boundaries that are maybe hyper boundaried or something along those lines that a lot of the knee jerk reaction to place these big barriers up in our relationships comes from an unmet need or not, you know, getting something or seeing something that is occurring with somebody else that causes you to want to put a barrier or a boundary or something in place or a veto or whatever it may be just to protect yourself. And that if you step back from that idea that often what it is really is that you're not quite getting a need met in a way that perhaps you want or that you are hoping for. And so I think that that's where true communication really needs to come in and where these bigger questions need to get asked regarding, you know, what is it that I want my relationship to look like and are we able to have these highly entangled commitments while still providing, you know, what we need to one another and having multiple relationships? Because that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. I'm sure, you know, I I haven't been in a polyamorous relationship for a while, but to me, it seems like a lot of people choose non-hierarchical polyamory because it is a little bit easier to not be putting up these big boundaries with one another and instead, you know, allow for multiple parties to sort of act uh, in potentially a more egalitarian manner. And so I think, yeah, when when you do have structures in place that don't necessarily call for that, I think there's some big questions and and kind of decisions that need to be made there in terms of what it is that you want your structure to look like and how is it possible or not to create the kind of relationship that you want to have. And that's a great segue into the second of these three questions here, which is kind of coming at it from the other side of how do you know the difference between genuine third-party trauma and what they mean by that is their metamor feeling traumatized by something about their relationship with the shared partner. Um, And, you know, where's the balance between respecting those feelings or feeling like those are being used to manipulate or to control or something like that. Um, And this one, I think, gets into, gosh, I mean, it gets into a tricky territory, right? So if, if you imagine, you know, I'm in a relationship with Dedeker and she's in a relationship with, uh, we'll call this person, uh, Tim. Can we call it Ewan McGregor? Because okay, you I am in a I am in a relationship with yes, Ewan McGregor, and I true. don't understand why you always forget that. True. But you're right. You're true. right. You're right. Okay, so 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 she's in a relationship with Ewan McGregor, and uh, we and we've been in a relationship for like fifteen upwards of fifteen years now. Is it Ewan right. as Obi Wan or as like Halston or Ewan McGregor himself? Yeah, what are yeah, like yeah. who? Why yeah. would you? Okay. No, wow. I love him wow. as he is, Emily. Okay, okay. All his all his forms. <laughs> okay, got it. Oh. My gosh. Okay. So, so here's the situation, right? So clearly Dedeker's relationship with you and McGregor is longer than her relationship with me. And there when I go. met Dedeker, she told me 
And th- I'm I'm now putting I'm putting names to these these characters from this person's clarification here. Okay. <laughs> she told me, "Hey, we um we don't live with each other, me and you and we don't live with each other and that we've each got full autonomy, no veto. But every time or or very often when I'm having good times with Dedeker, I'm then hearing about you and being quote traumatized by my relationship with Dedeker. And that that he's really upset by this relationship for whatever reason. I don't know what that is, and they didn't really clarify here. And then the person saying that this has taken this big emotional toll on all three of us. Clearly this person who's, who's feeling traumatized by our relationship, but then also Dedeker trying to mediate between us. And then also me feeling this like guilt now and that I can't have this relationship without feeling like I'm upsetting this other person. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's kind of the situation here. Gosh, it's weird putting myself in the middle of it like that. And you and McGregor involved. <laughs> and you're like, well, sorry, Jace. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you and comes first. Yeah. No. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, th- that is hard. I do think that, I mean, the fact that they drop in the word trauma makes it really tricky, right? Because I do think a lot of us want to respect when someone is having a trauma response. Right, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of respect that, especially if this person has some form of PTSD, that that's not always within their control, right? And they can't always logic that away from themselves. However, also when I'm looking at that, when I look at that through the lens of like the trauma work that I do with people, I'm kind of like, well, if there's a trauma response going on, chances are there there are either much earlier issues, much bigger issues, or much different issues than just my partner's dating somebody else. Now, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that is maybe that is the trauma. My partner's dating somebody else. I don't want them to be dating somebody else at all. In which case, that's a more fundamental question about relationship structure stuff. But if mm-hmm. it's no, I'm I'm totally bought into consensual non-monogamy and I want this, but there is something about when my partner spends time with this other person that brings up this response for me, then I just kind of want to know more about that and again I feel like then it gets into other stuff it could get into like Emily was talking about like there's an unmet need here there's been some past pain in this relationship there's been a past breach of trust or a past betrayal and again it's not to discount it it's like that needs to be addressed and that needs to be looked at and I mean I guess right now I'm bringing my coach brain to it because I'm always as a coach before people jump straight to need to veto or need to cut this person out. I'm trying to look at what's the actual pain here, right? And sure, it may be a situation where it's just like so painful for you that you need to leave or it's so painful for your partner that you're like, this is not worth it. I don't want to put my partner through this pain. And so I'm going to make the choice to do this. Um, And even that opens up a little bit of a can of worms of it's hard to tell a person's motivation. Like, did they do this genuinely out of their own heart? Like they wanted to end this relationship or was it because like their partner was making life at home so miserable for them that they just couldn't? Like it starts to get, I think, sort of messy and complicated and entangled really quickly. It's hard for me to like separate a veto especially if we're talking about a veto in the context of saying, okay, I'm vetoing this person and that means that you can't date them anymore. It's hard for me to separate that from like a boundary, somebody breaching a boundary and then saying that 
you have to be punished essentially or punishing your partner for breaching that boundary. To me, they kind of feel a little bit one in the same, which is tough, I think, and and probably why Vito gets such a bad rap, you know, mm-hmm. in, in like non-monogamous circles. Yeah, exactly. Like it is essentially a a way in which to punish some party involved for doing something that you don't want. And so, yeah, I mean, geez, that that really does sound like there's got to be some fundamental questions there. But at the end of the day, you also can only change yourself and your own reaction to something. And so if this is the reaction that somebody else is having, you can have conversations with your partner about it. You can even have conversations with your metamor about it. But at the end of the day, the only person that you can change or do anything about is is you. You can't change their actions. And so I think that's that is really challenging, but something to to understand that you're not the only one involved here. And as shitty as that is, I think, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it has to be a, a collaboration between many people. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought up the punitive aspect. That's not always the case when people exercise some kind of veto power, but I will say like the cases that I see so frequently in my own client base is usually it's like, yeah, my partner and I were non-monogamous and then they went and dated somebody else and then like they lied to me about what they were doing or they chose to have underprotected sex when they said that they wouldn't or they like they did something that was directly hurtful and like mm-hmm. like objectively hurtful, right? Like usually it's lying in some way or or concealing, doing something shitty like that. And then now it's this weird thing of now I have this painful association with my partner in the context of this outside relationship did this really painful thing to me. And now it's like the punitive part becomes, it's part of it is punishment and part of it is just like, I don't trust my partner with this person yeah. or whatever it is. Like those are really tricky situations to work through because often people are really grappling with, no, we're in a consensually non-monogamous relationship. I want this. I'm okay with my partner dating other people. It's just that like they did this really shitty thing with this one person and it's really hard for me to get past that. Um, and, well, I, and I, 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 from seeing that situation so many times, I can say I've not found a single one-size-fits-all solution mm, there. Yeah. So actually, that does go back to something that you mentioned in the first half of this episode, Dedeker, is this issue of if I'm putting this problem and sort of the, the thing I'm trying to work out on my metamorphs behavior you might actually be missing the mark a little bit because that's not a relationship that you are in directly. And so it's not one that you really, even if you did figure it out somehow, it wouldn't really make any difference because it's not your relationship. Uh, Especially in this situation, it sounds like they definitely don't have any kind of, you know, their own friendship or, or communication or anything like that. Maybe it'd be a little different if you did, maybe. But what I would encourage in this kind of situation is it, it doesn't make the problem easy, but hopefully lets you focus your efforts a little more is to focus on the behaviors of your partner and not your metamor, not their other partner. So in this situation, and you know, depending on your situation, there could be different ways this could work out or not, but it's if because of their other partner's actions, they're 
being shitty to you, like canceling on dates with you or not scheduling as many with you or something like that, even if you feel like the cause of that's the metamor, the person doing it is your partner, is that hinge. They're the one who's actually not treating you like you mm. would like to be treated in this relationship and that that's the relationship that you can actually talk to. And maybe they won't be willing to make that change, in which case, okay, my partner isn't willing to, you know, treat me with the kind of respect that I want in this relationship, or they're not able to give me what I want in this relationship, regardless of why they're deciding to choose that, right? The, the fact is, your relationship with this person is the one that's affected. Or in this case, and this one might be a, a little controversial, I could see people, you know, being upset by this idea, but maybe it's that, hey, partner, if this is going on in your other relationship and you're still choosing to keep that, I need you to not tell me about that because it's not my relationship and feeling this guilt and shame that I'm traumatizing your partner when really it's just your choice to date me that's supposedly traumatizing this person. I need you to manage that and find someone to talk to. And I'm sorry that I can't be that for you, but you can't be putting this on me because it's a relationship I have no power to do anything about. Uh, so, you know, again, how you negotiate that can really vary. But I would just really encourage you to focus on the actual relationship you do have and their behavior. And you may find you get a lot more effective conversations instead of constantly wondering and pondering over this other person and, and trying to solve their problem that you really can't solve. And that's a good segue, speaking of behavior, to talk about this question number three talking about ethical hierarchy, talking about how in a lot of the polyam community, people just default to, oh yeah, non-hierarchical, that's the best way, that's the most ethical way. And uh, we've definitely been a voice that has contributed to that, for sure, mm -hmm. in the past. Like, definitely want to take ownership of that. I think for myself now, after working with so many people and like seeing so many people's relationships, I realized pretty quickly that I have seen people practice non-hierarchical polyamory in ways that are very unethical and very shitty mm -hmm. to people involved. And I've seen people practice very uh, descriptive, clear hierarchy in ways that are very ethical and very kind and very compassionate. And so for me, I I'm realizing now I get a little bit less hung up on like, what label are you putting on your relationship? Especially now that this is sort of a microculture thing where people think non-hierarchy equals good. Therefore, I'm just going to slap that on my relationship and put that mm -hmm. on my dating profile. And then it doesn't really, doesn't really matter what my behavior is. People just know mm -hmm. that I'm practicing the good form of polyamory. I, I, I don't tend to get hung up on that as much. And I am just looking at the behavior, right? Like, how are you communicating things? How are you treating people? How... What efforts are you making to set up people's expectations as best as you can? And I realize that's not always in our control. Sometimes people bring in weird expectations about what kind of access to your time they're going to get or what kind of access to what sort of relationship you're going to get, regardless of, of whether you've told them about whether you practice hierarchy or not. But that's kind of the thing that I'm looking at is, is just like, are you being good? Are you letting people... Are you giving people as much information as you possibly can so they can give informed consent into what they're getting involved with? Just like, are you taking care of people? And also, are you making sure to just look at yourself and have awareness for why you're doing the things that you're doing? You know, why your relationship is structured in this particular way? You know, why are you choosing non-hierarchy? Or why are you choosing hierarchy? And that question isn't meant to 
be for the purpose of poking holes and saying, ah, look at that because you're wrong. It's just being clear on why you're doing the things that you're doing and being able to take ownership of that and tell that to the other people that you're interacting with. I think that the sort of non-hierarchy movement, we could call it, uh, you know, came out of a place that made sense because it was coming from a culture where even in non-monogamy, there was this, this clear, uncontested assumption that whoever that primary partner is gets to dictate whatever they want about that other relationship and that that's right. And so I think fighting back against that and pushing back against it, like a lot of people have done, including ourselves, makes a lot of sense, right? It was this completely unchallenged, unquestioned idea that this person could just unilaterally make this decision and had no accountability for that themselves. I mean, even though we've seen in real life, it actually ends up hurting them a lot to do it too. But that was the idea, right? That that needed to be protected at all costs. But then, yeah, to go along with what, what Dedeker was saying... I mean, if you think about this, I always like to make, you know, comparisons to other types of relationships, but say I have a really good friend and I start hanging out with some new person and my friend, for some reason, is just like, I don't know, like, I don't like how you are when you're around this person or like you just, you have a lot less time for me in my time of need or kind of whatever it is. I might take that seriously and maybe not keep doing this new relationship or maybe change that new relationship because possibly my friend sees something in me in my behavior with this person that I'm not aware of right now because I'm just excited about my new friend uh that you know it's like you you take that seriously because this is someone I prioritize and someone who who matters a lot to me and I have a lot of history with and there's nothing wrong with that and so in this situation, it's kind of, they give this example of if you're going to raise a, a child with someone or invest in a home or plan your life, you do want to prioritize that person. And I would say, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense, right? If you're going to parent a child with someone, there's going to be some decisions you make prioritizing that person. But I, but I would still argue that the difference between the old school way, way of approaching hierarchy is this, you get control and veto just because rather than I'm going to prioritize this relationship and I'm going to let my new partners know, hey, I have a kid with this person or I own a home with this person and we've been together for 10 years. I'm going to prioritize this relationship. So don't expect me to just drop them for you. I mean, you don't have to say it quite like that, but I think that's a reasonable thing to expect and a, a reasonable thing that we would do in other relationships too. But I'm not saying, oh, because of that, they get to dictate whatever they want for you. So, And that's kind of the new nuance. And yeah, maybe we need to come up with some better ways of expressing this or some better terms. There is an interesting unpacking of feeling as though one is entitled to somebody else's time just simply because they've been with them the longest or something along those lines. Now, Again, yes, I agree that if you have children with this person, if you have a life with this person that's established where you live with them, things like that, then potentially you will feel as though, hey, my entanglement makes me feel as though I should be entitled to certain things within this relationship. But as Dedeker said, and I think as you said as well, Jace, you need to be clear with that with your other partners and really talk about your expectations in terms of what you want your other relationships to look like. Now, I also have met people who 
prefer being in relationships where they are not the primary, where they are more in a secondary role, because that's really all that they have the emotional bandwidth for or what they want their life to look like in that way. And I think seeking out those types of relationships maybe is is something that would fare better for those who do want really strict, specific hierarchy. I was just thinking of another comparison would be with a job. That it's, hey, you know, I have a job where I travel, you know, every month I'm gone two weeks out of the month. And if I'm going to start dating someone new, it's like, well, I know that. Yeah, right. You have to know this. I have this commitment to this job. I'm not just going to skip out on work because you want to see me that week or because you're having a breakdown or something like that. But at the same time, I also understand you might not like it all the time. Like Dedeker and I, I'm thinking of this because Dedeker and I just recently in our last radar uh, had some conflicts about each of our different ways of approaching work. Mm. And, you know, when that it doesn't always fit perfectly and having to kind of talk about, well, okay, this is what matters to me and this is why this. Okay, yeah, let's see if I can communicate to you differently about it and making adjustments around that. I feel like it actually works as a pretty good metaphor for this type of thing too. It's like, well, okay, it's not that you have to say, heck yeah, I'd, I'd love everything you're doing in that other relationship. <laughs> but also on the other extreme, it's not, I don't like this, so you can't do it. Or I'm just yeah. going to make your life miserable for doing it because that's not good either. So so again, I'm just trying to think of different ways to think about it just to use as kind of landmarks or what's what makes sense, what feels reasonable in other circumstances, and then see how those apply here. Not as a like be all end all, this is the answer, because maybe people are shitty at dealing with their work too. But, you know, just to give you some other ways to think about things. And just because something is hierarchical or not doesn't mean that it's ethical or not. Mm. I think you said that too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah, That's great. That's true. Yeah. I think it requires a little more investigation. Absolutely. Beyond just someone telling you that there's hierarchy or there's not. 100%. that was a great discussion. I don't know if we answered any questions, but maybe that's not the point, really, to come to come down hard and fast with a firm answer. I feel like we could have this same discussion every six months and be uncovering different nuances and different thoughts and different feelings about all of these things. So, however, do want to hear from all y'all listening. We're going to post this question in our Instagram stories this week. Do you think that some form of hierarchy can ever be ethical in a non-monogamous relationship? Really curious to hear what people have to think about that. But also, if there's anything else in this episode that sparked your interest or generated a lot of interesting thoughts, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on the episode discussion channel in our Discord server. Or you can also post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal KVP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 